Good morning. So today has to come with a warning label for Claudia. Claudia signs for us over here today for, our, for the deaf ministry. And uh, last week, I was on a third night of only having slept two hours because of shoulder pain. And so last week, I was slow and I was, you know, kind of delirious. This week, I not only slept all night, but God gave me an extra hour, or at least our, our government overlords <laughs> yeah. gave us an extra hour. I have so much energy. We might have to pay you time, time and a half today, okay? <laughs> your, your hands are in big trouble, but it's good to see all of you today. Can't wait to get started on the day. I am curious to know how the uh, murder mystery go. It and went, were you the murderer? I was not. Okay, good. Good to hear. I was not. Uh, <clears throat> I did go rogue, though, the character that Julie assigned me. Uh, essentially got ripped up and thrown in the garbage, and I, I turned into Agent Chaos. Oh, Agent Chaos... Perfect role. Yeah, Agent Chaos was trying to mimic the role of our sheriff, but he didn't do anything correctly, uh, and all he did all night was steal information, steal money, and... Uh, Ultimately, AJ Chaos did figure out who the, who the murderer was, one of five people to figure that out, and I accomplished my goal because I stole so much money from everyone that I ended up going home with the fattest stack of cash. Lorelai Wojewoda put up a tough fight. She was about $1,000 behind, but I was not about to let her win. Everybody that had money sitting on a table, it was mine. If it was hanging out, out of your back pocket a little too, too loosely, it was mine. If you fanned it out to show somebody because you were paying off a bribe or something for the show, not for, or for, the, for the skit, not for the, for the actual, you know, whatever, I would snatch that. Every money that I saw, every like, dollar bill that I saw, I took and I hid until the end. So mission accomplished. We chaos, chaos. Agent chaos. It's so funny because they gave you a lot of grief last week for the whole lighting, cheating, stealing, and all those other things. Yeah. During the service, I made the comment that if you ever want an automatic smile, just go to Emmett, and he'll give you a smile. Valones go up to him after church, deadpan face. So, I uh, can't count on anything these days. Anyway, well, I've got a few things for you. First of all, we don't talk about this often, but uh, there are a number of ways to give at Southfield. Uh, we're not just passing an offering plate anymore. We, we go ahead and between online and you've got, you got texting as well. Do you know why that did that? Okay, well, it might keep jumping a bit. Just get ready. So, but uh, one of the, if you like giving in person, there's a black box over there at the door. It's going to be one of those days. But I think you've got a lot of energy. But I have the energy to do yeah. it. So this is going to be a lot of fun. What all is there? Because I'm only seeing that one slide, and there were like four. Okay, I like that one. Yeah, yeah. So we have a church app. I haven't been able to walk through this, but I love, you can go to this every week and on there, the scripture and songs are there, teaching notes. If you like using the version teaching notes, there's a link right there to get to it. There's a link for the weekend update in case you missed it in the email. You can get it there. All these things right in one place. You can give from there. You can get involved in groups, check in for events. So Everything is right there. You just need to go ahead and get on, uh, get on that. If you look at the church website, there's a link straight to it, and you can get right to that. What app. I love, even within groups, after you join a group, it shows you the list of the people who are involved, shows you who the leaders are, and, and you can actually message the group. I know, like sometimes you'll you'll wonder, like, oh shoot, are we meeting this week? And mm -hmm. then you look at your phone, and I'm like, oh no, I don't have anyone's phone number. But if you're in the, if you're if you have the app, 
and you're in, you're in the group, you can just message the entire group and, and figure all that out. So it's, yeah. a, it's a really cool piece that, um, that we get through the app. So if you're not getting the, the update emailed to you, again, you can click there. But if you get it emailed, it looks something like this. Couple things going on. Uh, one, we're, we're kind of getting ready for Christmas early, Operation Christmas Child. Students are involved in this. What else happening with that? Yeah, well, so we're looking to, to fill some, uh, some boxes with gifts for kids that, that wouldn't usually get them. So actually, I grabbed one on my way in. If you head out uh, right by the, the coat racks before you get down the hallway, there's a table set up, and some of our students are out there giving out these lists. And basically with this list, we've got boys' items and girls' items, because I can read. And uh, th- there's just a, a plethora of different things that you can, that you can purchase. And you don't, I've been informed, you don't even need to put it in a box. You don't need to wrap it. So if you are a terrible wrapper like me, uh, you could just buy the gift, bring it in, and we'll, we'll package it up for you. Um, the other thing you can do is purchase it through Amazon. So there, there are a couple different options in terms of getting, getting the gifts. But we're also looking for shoe boxes and mm. things that we can use to actually package up those, uh, those gifts. So if, you, if you're driving by... Uh, you know, pay less or something, and you need a new, pay, new pair of shoes, go ahead, buy yourself a cheap pair of shoes, bring us the box, uh, or if you're going by Five Below and you see all the, the cheap Christmas wrapping paper, we'll take that too, because we need uh, tissue paper, wrapping paper, everything that would go into n- normally putting together a gift outside of just the, the actual gift itself. So, I was out in the shed last June and had some shoe boxes out there that I've been wondering what I'm going to do with, and I'm literally, I was on my way to the dumpster with them, and Julie saw me. She's like, stop! We'll need those in December, so (laughs) yay! Got seven. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. We've also, speaking of Christmas, we've got a a play, a musical coming up on December 1st, and our our little kids are able to get involved in singing in a choir. My understanding is the rehearsal happens on Sunday morning in between services, so you need to get signed up for that if you're going to be doing that. And really good news about LifeWise. The bus isn't here today because it's getting wrapped. So pretty soon it's going to be LifeWise red with the words across the side. But we've had a few more kids sign up. So slowly but surely that's kind of picking up. Got a couple of kids that really, you can tell already, fantastic gift of evangelism, right? They're just, they're inviters. And that's what it's about. It's, you know, it's not about all the, you know, we can put signs out and everything else. Bottom line is invitation. I want, I'd, I'd be curious to know how many people are sitting here today because someone invited them to yeah. church. Invitations matter. So really cool to see that continue to pick up. And I would encourage you to continue <clears throat> praying about it. Uh, pray not just for the kids in the program, but also pray for the, the teachers at the school and all the kids that are at the school that are not a part of this program, uh, just to, to soften hearts, soften minds, and, and realize that this is a, a really good thing. It's a, it's a great opportunity for, for the kids to receive that character education from a biblical perspective, while the kids at the other school are they're still getting character ed. It's not like they're, you know, our, our kids are um, getting it and theirs aren't. It's just a, a different, uh, different program. So um, continue to, to pray over it because there's, there's still logistical things that we're going to have to work through, you know, day in, day out with the program. And, um, and Jaren's doing a great job with it. Mm-hmm. So. Kindergarten Tuesday, first grade Wednesday, second grade Thursday, and they come on over for, a, I think, about 45 minutes, something like that, toward the end of the school day in order to in order, like you said, learn and mm-hmm. grow. So we've been working on some things together to grow individually as well as to grow as a church family. So we've been working on reading a chapter of Proverbs together every day. 
And I'm really, I'm thrilled. You know, I follow along on the Bible app. A lot of people are continuing, very consistent in getting down that reading every day. So getting the Word of God, hiding the Word in your heart, and, and it's amazing what the Spirit of God can do when we actually take in the Word of God. So today's uh, November 5th, and so we're reading chapter 5 of Proverbs. Then we're praying three times a day. In the morning, uh, we're using the Lord's Prayer as an outline. We take a, a line of the prayer and, and then talk to God about it, have conversation about it. Midday is praying for lost people, and evening is a prayer of gratitude. And what we're doing with that, not only doing that you know, during the day, morning, night, and noon, but also when we gather together on Sunday prior to communion, we're going to be doing one of those prayers each, each week as just a sample of how that works. And then the last one is we're asking you, don't run out the door at the end of the service. Stick around for seven minutes. Let's be together, hang out a little bit. Uh, just enjoy, enjoy getting to know each other a bit. So we're going to go ahead and read Proverbs. I'm going to have you start. And what I've done with this today is uh, I've put it on the screen in the, in the paragraph chunks. It, it actually had uh, chunks and then breaks. So uh, we're going ahead and reading a paragraph at a time, okay? My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may persevere knowledge or preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Let me just point out a few things here. First of all, he, he, he'll repeatedly say, my son. He is writing to his literal son, his literal sons, his literal children, but ultimately sees all of us as mm -hmm. children who will need to take this in. Um, he writes a lot about the adulterous woman. And I think he's talking about the adulterous woman, the prostitute, literally, but he's also talking about her figuratively, the difference between pursuing wisdom and pursuing foolishness. So, so both of those are, are coming at us uh, all the time. Chapter, or verse 7 says, Now then, my sons, listen to me, do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. I mean, this is important advice when it comes to sin. Don't, you know, we all want to ride the edge. Stay as far away as you can, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich their house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Now, he takes a turn here. He's been talking about the adulterous woman, and now he's going to turn and talk about loving your wife. God gave you a life to love. Love your wife. So he's being figurative here, figurative here but listen to it. He says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Stop looking for a drink somewhere else. Your wife is your life source. Stick with your wife. Should your spring overflow into the streets and the streams of water into the public square, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed 
and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then he makes allusions that are strange. I don't know how many women like being referred to as a deer, but that's his thing, right? A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. I love that line. I mean, 38 years into marriage, I am intoxicated with my wife's love. My son, why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all of your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For the lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Another translation of verse 21, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. (laughs) He's paying attention, so live a righteous life. So, Father God, I thank you so much uh, for giving us the privilege of reading this book together repeatedly, and I pray that that wisdom would seep into our hearts and souls, that that we would choose to grow, that we would choose to grow in greater understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to break into a new series today, and and it's one that I think um, I could probably do once every other year, because because what we're doing as believers is we're, we're walking a life with God, and as we're walking a life with God, as we're growing in relationship, we're learning about how the relationship works. And there are pieces of that relationship that, that we need reminders sometimes. We need an understanding of, okay, how does this work again as I'm living life in God? For a lot of people sitting here, well, for every person sitting here, life is full of decisions. You made a whole bunch of decisions this morning, and you didn't even realize it. You decided uh, when you were going to wake up. You decided what you were going to wear. You decided what you were going to drive to church. You, you decided to come to church. You make all kinds of decisions. A lot of those are just reflexive. We don't even think about them. They just kind of happen. And then there are these, there are these more, we might call them biggie decisions, decisions that you know, are, are rather, rather life-altering, like, like the two kids sitting back doing videos. Video right now. Bryson and Julia, not too long ago, had to decide. You know, she, he says to Julia, do you want to marry me? And she's like, ah, looking, looking for other offers? Okay, I'll go. No. She's like, of course, I've waited for you all my life. This is amazing. Or like, like Nikkel. Nikkel watches on Sunday morning. Nikkel is in her senior year of college right now. And she's going to have some decisions to make. You know, what do I do? Do I, where should I get a job? Where should I live? What should the job look like? How, what places should I apply? What places should I not apply? Those decisions are happening all the time. Like Brian and Riley. You know, the, the family grew a little bit. The house didn't grow along with it. And so they're thinking, come spring, we should probably start looking at moving. And then, boom, a house comes in. And there it is. And two weeks ago, they're moving and their life is turned upside down. We have these decisions big decisions that are happening all the times in our lives. For some of you, you're dating and you're wondering, is this person should I, I should marry? Or, you know, should I, is it time to keep walking? Look for someone else. These decisions, major decisions, life decisions are coming at us all the time. And we need to learn how to make those decisions in light of our relationship with God. Because God cares about our decisions. And I would dare say, he cares about our decisions big and small. He cares about all of our decisions. So we're going to spend the month of November talking about discerning the will of God. How do we know what God wants us to do? 
How do I know that the thing I'm doing, how do I know that I'm supposed to be standing here right now? How do I know that this is what God wants me to do? How do I discern the will of God? Now, in order to kind of break into that, I'd like to define two terms this morning. I'd like to define will, and I'd like to define discern. We need to understand those two terms if we're going to understand anything about where we're going. So what do we mean when we talk about God's will? And we see this term used repeatedly in the Word of God. I don't know that American Christians use this term as much as maybe when I was a child, when I was younger, uh, I'd hear things like, you need to be in the center of the will of God. When I was determining, you know, coming to 17, 18 years old, where I should go to college and all those sorts of things, I was asking, God, where do you want me to go to college? What am I supposed to do? What is, what is your perfect will for me? I'd pray things like like that. What do we mean by will? Well, when we look at the will of God in the Bible, what we quickly find is that there are a number of ways that the will of God is referred to, not just one. We see, for example, that there is a reference to his sovereign plan. God is the creator and the designer of the universe, and he has a plan for all things, his sovereign plan. Then we also see the will of God referred to as kind of his, his moral pathway, There's right and wrong, good and bad, wisdom and foolishness, and God has a will. God has desires. This is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. So we have the sovereign overall plan, but then we also have a a moral pathway that could be referred to as his will, and then there are specific desires. So there's kind of this, this global sovereignty of God, but here's the thing. He also, according to Ephesians 2.10, placed you right here, right now for a purpose. The Bible tells us, the psalmist is writing, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew that you were going to be. And God has a plan for your life. So we have a sovereign overarching plan. We have a moral plan. And then we have specific desires that he has for each of us. Let's look at the sovereign plan for a moment. And what we're going to do is just look at a bunch of verses this morning to see what God's talking about in each of these areas. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 to 10 say, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. As you read the English versions of the Bible, very often this idea of the sovereign will of God is translated God's purposes. God has purposes. He has plans. He has desires for the way life will work out overall. Job 42.2 says, I know Job's talking to God. I know that you can do all things and no purpose, there's that word again, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In the book of Proverbs, we've read this one just last month, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. He has a purpose for everything. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man or a woman but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. No matter what your plan is, God's purposes will never be thwarted. 
Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Even the most rebellious king doesn't realize he's being used by God for his purposes. Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. There's a, there's a, there's a purpose right there, right? An overall arching, overall, over, overarching sovereign plan. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him, there's that word again, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We might say things like, God has, a, God has a plan. God has a plan. You know, it's funny, I was listening the uh, last couple of weeks to a popular radio show host, a religious guy, not Christian, but a religious guy. And somebody called in and said, God has a plan for all things. And this very religious man said, I don't believe that. I don't believe God has a plan for all things. And being of Jewish background, he said, look at the Holocaust. Look at the things that have happened in this world. How could that have been part of the plan of God? And this is where people start to struggle with the idea of God's sovereignty. If God is sovereign, how can evil exist? Well, we're not going to solve that today, but just give you a thought. God has a sovereign plan for all things. He also has a moral pathway, or, or we might refer to it as a holy desire. God has a holy desire for each of us. You want to know God's holy desire? Leviticus 19.2, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He says, I want you to be just like me. I'm holy, you be holy. He's expressing his will, right? His will, his desire is that we grow in holiness, be just like God. Deuteronomy 6, Moses says, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. God has given us commands and commandments. Those are expressions of his moral will. Do this, don't do that. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. He says, God's will for you is that you grow in Christ. God's will for you is that you be transformed and he says, here's a piece of it, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Another version says, God's will for you is to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. It's an expression of the moral will of God. And then this one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If we were to look at places like the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount, they are clear expressions of the moral will of God. This is, these are his desires, his do's, his don'ts. So we have the sovereign will, and then we have the, the moral pathway. Then finally, there's that specific desire. Again, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He created us to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a purpose for your existence. He has a reason for you being here. And so we read verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 just two days ago in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. Recognize that God is part of your life. And he will, it says, make 
your, make straight your paths. He's, so if you lived in Buffalo, he's clearing the snow before you, making a clear path so you can walk in a right direction. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. We have Bible, Bible characters who are very specifically called by God for a purpose, and a piece of that design for us could be considered our calling or our vocation. By vocation, I don't mean our job. My marriage is a vocation. It's the calling to which God has brought me in this life. Uh, we have people like Moses, called by God. Abraham, called by God for a specific purpose. We have David, called by God. Samuel, literally hearing in the night from God. Jeremiah, it says in, in the beginning of that, of that book, before I formed you in the womb, God's speaking to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The same was true for Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 2, God makes very clear to Ezekiel, I have a purpose for you. You're going to take my message and you're going to preach it to my people. I think one of the reasons we're so intrigued by the character Joseph in Genesis, the end of Genesis, is because we hear when he's 17 years old the expression by God of his individual will for Joseph. Someday you will rule. You will rule your brothers. And it, and it takes 13 years for him to get from that expression to ultimately being a part of Pharaoh's court. And how does he get there? Slavery, prison. I mean, it's not, it's not, the, it's not the path up. It's like, how, what's happening with this guy? But all along, God is directing him to a place to the point that Joseph can say to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended this for good. You may have people in your life that actually have evil intent. They may fire you. They may leave you, abandon you, whatever. And ultimately, you find yourself in a better place. Though they intended evil, God can even use the evil in order to accomplish his good purposes. So, a sovereign plan, a moral pathway, a specific desire. These are often referred to as God's sovereign will, God's moral will, and God's individual will. When we talk about the will of God in this series, or when we talk about, the, I want to know the will of God, I want to know God's desire for me, for the most part, most of us are talking about the individual will. We want to know, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So here's another question as we're looking at the wills. What can we know of the three wills of God? What can we know of his sovereign will, his moral will, and his individual will? I would say, you know, top 25 verses in the Bible for me, Deuteronomy 29, 29, easy address to remember. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I think this is what Moses is saying about God's sovereign will. You'll know what God tells you, and the rest is God's. Relax. The rest is God's. Breathe. You don't have to know it. Some of us are infomaniacs. We have to know. How about this? You know God knows, and that's good enough. You don't have to know. You only have to know what God shows you. So when it comes to the sovereign will, 
If God reveals it, when he reveals it, I know it. And until then, I am comfortable living in the mystery of God. And I am comfortable living with the fact that God knows even though I don't. Some people will refer to this as God's secret will and God's revealed will. There are parts that we just don't know. And there are parts that God has clearly made plain. We can guess all day long. Only God knows. Only God knows. So as far as the sovereign will is concerned, we know what God reveals, and that's it. What about the moral will? What can we know of God's moral will? We can know a ton. We can know a ton. Because he left us a divine instruction manual, an inspired instruction manual, and it gives us what we need to know. Now, granted, does it give us everything, every little detail of life? No, it doesn't give us every detail of life. What it gives us is, is examples that provide principles that we can apply to all of life. So some of the examples in the Bible involve sheep and goats and things that you know very few of us own, but you can take principles and bring them over to your daily life. Psalm 119, 11. Just some common, beautiful verses. I have hidden your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. God, I'm purposely taking in your word so that I can live in the moral path that you desire. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I can use the word of God to know what his moral will is. Uh, we read Proverbs 1 earlier this week. Solomon says, this is why I'm writing the book. Are you listening to me, kid? He says it's for the attaining of wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. He says, why am I giving you these chapters? Why am I giving you these sayings? So that you'll know the moral will of God. And you can do them. Psalms starts pretty much the same way. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on the law he meditates day and night. He's constantly churning and listening to it and, and flipping the word of God over and over and over in his head. He's like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Whatever he does, it prospers because he's living on the word of God. With the sovereign will, we only know what God shows us. With the moral will, the moral pathway, he's shown us completely. We know what is right. We know what is wrong, and we need to do what he says. How about, how about that individual will, then, the specific desire? What can we know there? You know, I think the individual will is a lot like the sovereign will. It's, it's one step at a time, walking by faith. It's knowing that when you're making that decision, you're praying, you're connected with God, you're seeking godly advice. I, I'm, you know, one of the ways you know you're, you're walking away from what God desires? When you want to do something and there are people you know you should ask, but you don't know because you know what they'll tell you. If, if that's happening in your life, guess what? You're, you're going your own way. You're not willing to listen to godly counsel. We know as God reveals it. And that can be frustrating sometimes, right? 
I mean, I look at the people in the Bible who get like DMs from God. He's just saying, go here, do this, do that. And I'm kind of sitting here going, huh. I was literally sitting in a living room in St. Louis and I prayed, I'm not kidding, from nine in the night till four in the morning, God, this Joliet church, what do you think? And by the end of the night, I was like, I have no reason to believe that's not where you want me to go. Based on the things I know, I think that's where you want me to go. Um, okay, we'll go. And we took the first couple of steps in 1995 and 96 and 97. I got to tell you, until about 2001, I thought I made a wrong turn. I'm wondering what in the world we're getting our heads bashed in here. What's going on? And I can tell you, standing here in 2023, I know this is exactly where God wanted me. It's exactly where God wanted me. And the, the thing that's kind of rough about the individual will of God is a lot of times we only know it in the rearview mirror but we're trusting. It's walking in relationship. I walk in relationship with my wife. I didn't know everything about Kim the day we got married. Didn't know every one of her desires, didn't know everything about her. But we walk in relationship, and as we walk in relationship, what she desires unfolds, and I learn more, and we walk in this together. It really is a beautiful walk with God. So we can know some things, but a lot of it really is walking in faith, which brings us to that second term, discern or discernment or discerning. You know, I had on the slide, God's will, what can we know? We often talk about knowing the will of God. I don't think it's the best term to use. I really don't. I like the word discerning a lot better. And, and you may say, well, it's just, you know, one word or the other. It really isn't. It really isn't. No, for most of us, for one thing, knowing implies some control. If we know, we can control it. It also implies something of a destination. Haha, I finally know. I know. There's something going on with discern that's different in nature. I, I love in Luke chapter 1, verse 20, the angel appears to Mary. It says she was greatly troubled, understatement, and tried to what? Discern what sort of greeting this might be. What's going on here? What's this all about? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural person or the sinful person, the person outside of God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them. Why? Because these things are discerned spiritually. You can only understand them spiritually. Ephesians 5, 7 to 10, Therefore do not become partners with them, people who walk in darkness. For at one time you were in the darkness, but now you are in the light. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I know you say, well, no, discern. No, it really is different. It really is different. Philippians 1, 9 to 11, and I, this is Paul's prayer for the church. I pray that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, so they may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In the book of Hebrews, we read solid food. In other words, the, the meat of the word of God is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. Those two words together are important. Discernment involves training. It involves recognizing patterns of the way God works. It involves, it involves more than just, I got the answer, ding. 
discernment trained by constant practice. Do you see what's going on here? Not arriving at an answer. Discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So discernment defined. When, when I look at discernment, discernment is really a process. It's a process. It's growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's growing in ability to be able to smell the truth. To be able to smell the direction that God wants me to take. This is uh, encapsulated in Romans 12 too. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This discernment is about transformation. It's not about arriving at an answer. It's about transformation. It is then that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, for who has instructed the mind... Who has, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then comes the part. But we have the mind of Christ. This is what happens when we grow in discernment. We grow the mind of Christ. We, we actually embrace the mind of Christ. We start to think the way Christ would think. That's very different than knowing the answer. It's a process, a way of understanding what God desires Knowing God's will, when we say knowing God's will, implies arriving at a point of revelation. Discerning God wills, God's will implies a journey of transformation. I'm on a journey of transformation, learning the desires of God. Discernment is the ability to think biblically about all areas of life, including what I should eat for cereal. All areas of life. It, it, God's word gives us information for all areas of life, thinking the mind of Christ. The ability to choose between what is true and right and what is wrong and false. It, it's examining options while relying on God for direction. It is a spiritual gift, and we'll talk about the difference between a spiritually gifted person in discerning and the discernment every one of us is re required to have. And it is rooted in wisdom. James writes so beautifully, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't know what the will of God is, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. So here's the reality. There's someone sitting in this room that is at the point of a major decision. And you're like, I am so thankful I'm sitting here right now. I'll be back every Sunday in November. Woo! And then for the rest of us, we may not be at major decision point today, but it's coming. It's coming. And God wants us to know not simply how to know the answer, but how to enter into the transform transformative process of discernment that we might truly have the mind of Christ. And that is what we pray, God. That you will grow the mind of Christ in us. That we will move beyond people who are just looking for answers to people who really embrace walking in relationship. You have shown us what you require of us to do justly, to love mercy, and to do what? Walk humbly with our God. You want us to walk in humility with you. Teach us, God. Teach us how to be a discerning people, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.
So we're going to move to communion. And as we do, um, just to remind you again, we have tables at the front and the back. We have gluten-free on either side, of the, either side of the platform, one in the back as well. We walk to communion because we think it is a, a conscious decision every week. Every week, we, we're in that point of asking, have I, have I examined my heart? Am I ready uh, to embrace this piece of my relationship with God? Have I confessed my sin? Am I ready to take communion? And like I said, for each part of communion in, in, the, in the weeks to come, we're going to take time uh, looking at one of the prayers. So today we're going to actually do the, the night prayer together. And the night prayer begins with the verse we already looked at, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is God's will for you to give thanks. We know it now. God's moral will, be a thankful person. And so a piece of being a thankful person is to stop and review the day. Now, we do this as night prayer because the day will have passed and a lot of things happened. Uh, What you can do if you're not able to do it at night, let's say it's, oh, I don't know, 9.41 in the morning. You could back up and look at the day before, or honestly, you could just look at how life has gone from the time you woke up to right now. So in the next few moments, review the events of the day, the people, the tasks, messages, meals, demands and surprises, Relive every moment prayerfully before God as if you are sitting with him and responding to the question, so what did you do today? I should imagine that. God asking you, so what did you do today? So just take a moment right now to pause and remember what's happened this morning, maybe some of what happened yesterday. So once you've taken some time for that review, a couple of things might stand out as as areas of gratitude for you. We've seen this Hebrew word, dainu. It's the Hebrew cry of gratitude, meaning it would have been enough. And this is what we love about this prayer that we're doing. It's not just listing things we're grateful for, but we're looking for the way that God took it over the top. God, thank you for the ice cream, but oh my goodness, I had whipped cream too, and a cherry, and sprinkles, and everything added to it. It would have been enough. Recall and thank God for the big and small ways that today you were the recipient of more than enough. You were the recipient of abundance. You were the recipient of dainu. As I thought about this one, I couldn't help but say, God, it would have been enough for me to finally just sleep through the night. Thank you for a a full night's sleep from from 10 o'clock till early in the morning. But you gave me an extra hour, too. Diane, you, thank you. Abundance, abundance. 
when we end the day with gratitude, we remember the fingerprints of God across the events and hours of the day and his presence in our lives. Walk with gratitude toward communion as we sing a song exalting God's greatness. You know, if we look at Jesus through natural eyes, we might think, God, it would have been enough for you to send a, a, a moral good person to this world um, to give us an example of how we should live and what that should be like. It would have been enough. But Diane, you, you died, you were buried, and there was this Sunday morning that your, your body began to breathe once again. And because of that, I can have eternal life. We can have eternal life. We can know there's more to life than this life. And I'm telling you what, if you ever needed to know that, you need to know that right now. There's more to life than this life. So live in that gratitude of over the top. He loved you enough to die for you, to be buried for you, and to rise again for you. Go with that, but don't go too fast. Put your phone away. I know you're reaching for it. Put your phone away because you have seven minutes to be friends, all right? See you later.